Hi guys and welcome back to Football by the Sea. Yes, it has been a while and yes, we have not recorded the podcast due to several uh, mitigating circumstances. But uh, I would like to apologize to anyone who's been waiting on the episodes. Um, there's been a lot going on in our respective lives for I and uh, GJ personally. By the way, this is your host, John. Didn't even introduce myself. So rude. Um, GJ has also been very busy uh, with some very, very important things. But I'm back here. I said I couldn't miss another week. Just had to do a podcast because a lot's happened, okay? We missed a lot of weeks of football, but um, a lot has happened. And the bottom line is that um, Arsenal are still top of the league. As surprising as it sounds to anyone who hasn't been paying attention, <laughs> Arsenal have not crumbled yet. Um Liverpool are somewhere in mid-table, but they just beat Spurs on the weekend. Unai Emery returned to the Premier League and smashed Man United. I mean, the storylines are crazy. The storylines are crazy. Ralph Hasenhutu was fired by Southampton. Finally, as I see. I don't like to see anyone lose their job, but hey, man. Um, and... Uh, Man City uh, scraped a 2-1 win against Fulham. Very, very uh, scrappy win there with 10 men. And yeah, um, let's get into it. This is Football by the Sea. So, you know, firstly, um, let's just talk about the past few weeks. A lot has happened. Um and uh, there's been a lot of football. There's been Champions League, Europa League. Bottom line, like I said before, you know, Arsenal is doing really well. Um, Arsenal is doing real, really well and has a lot of rival fans rattled. Not least because no one really saw these performances coming this season. And the way that they refuse to crumble even in the big games is showing a lot of rivals that these people are serious they have some metal and they're not going to fold over the only time that they've lost was uh and recently was against psv um in a game that they didn't have to win in the europa league um but none nonetheless in the league in the Premier League, the only loss has been against Man United. And there's been the draw against Southampton in the previous week. So one loss, one draw out of, I think, 13 games so far. 12, 13 games. I mean, 13 games, yes, which is a great return. Um, and speaking of the past weekend, the game against Chelsea... <sighs> I watched that game and I felt like Arsenal could have been better, which is so funny because Chelsea were so poor, so, so poor. I expected more from them. Listen, we can talk about the Aubameyang 
BT sport ad that came out where he said, I'm back, I'm blue, I'm ready. And, you know, got put in a spliff. Um, he didn't do anything. He had eight touches on the ball. It was disappointing. Even for me seeing him, I thought he was going to bring more, you know, um, the manager started him, I think, in the hopes that, oh, he's going to perform against his previous team. And he did not repay Potter's faith. In, in fact, none of the Chelsea players did. They they seemed to be very clueless on what to do in front of goal, in the midfield. The only player that I would say could hold them their head up high in the Chelsea team was maybe Thiago Silva. Because if not for him, I think Arsenal would have scored more. And Arsenal actually missed a bunch of sitters. I mean, the Gabriel Jesus header that most people say he should have scored. I think yes, but also his height did play a role in that. His head kind of scraped the ball a little bit. He didn't really get much on it. And um, Martin Odegaard, you know, kind of just wasted another chance 1v1 which I hope does not come back to bite Arsenal. Um, but he, he really needs to get that under control and finish chances. But besides Gabriel Jesus not scoring, his overall play was so instrumental to getting the team a win because he's the one that took the ball off, um, I forgot what Chelsea player, to, to start the attack again. And the ball went out for a corner. So that was a corner that won us the game that Saka took. Which, by the way, weirdest goal, one of the weirdest goals you will ever see. Um, it looked like when Saka took the shot that it was curving into the goal. And it literally passed every single person in that six-yard box. It, it, it literally passed... The funniest one was seeing Cucurella holding Xhaka for dear life and the ball just like passing under him or something or next to him. And no one in the Chelsea team did anything to stop it. Gabriel Magalhaes just comes at the back, slots it in. There you go, 1-0. And I'm glad he did that because it looked like it was going in, but if by chance it's something miraculously didn't happen to go in, you know, that was a good insurance policy. And the celebrations with the away fans, it was just, it was great. After the game, uh, I think Granit Xhaka did an interview with BT Sport, of all people. Um, the the media company that hyped this game up to the heavens and uh, made Arsenal fans think that, oh, okay, Aubameyang saying all these things, but I didn't really think it was a big deal. Um, obviously, it was a promo, and the video even came out of the behind the scenes where the director was telling him literally word for word what's to say. So that whole Arsenal, nothing personal. Like, obviously, if he wanted, he could have said no. You know, to doing he didn't have to say all those words. Like, but at the end of the day, he did. And here's the thing: if you're going to say it, you have to back it up. And even I was disappointed. It was great because I didn't want him to have a good game, but it was still disappointing that I thought at least he would have the drive and the energy. I blame the uh, the Chelsea midfielders were not giving them any service whatsoever. Uh, Mount, Gallagher, 
and um, I can't. Who else was playing there? Georgine, like Georgina was in DM. There was a, there was a third player I'm thinking of. I can't remember. Um, and I know they have some injuries, but listen, everybody, every team has some injuries. You know what I mean? We just Arsenal just got Zinchenko back um, and El Nenny. Um, so. And I think it was very interesting that Zinchenko started the game ahead of Tierney, who had scored the goal in midweek against uh, FC Zurich to come first in the Europa League group. And uh, there's been a lot of uh, talk and rumors that uh, Karen Tierney is very unhappy with his lack of playing time because he scored the winner in that midweek game, but... Zinchenko, who hasn't played in how many weeks, just comes back in immediately. And I get it, but if you look at the way Zinchenko slots into midfield and and the ease with which he plays that role, it it just adds a different dimension and and layer to the Arsenal attack because the way they peppered Chelsea, Chelsea would get the ball, but they wouldn't be able to hold on to it and Arsenal would get it back. That 1-0 scoreline really flattered Chelsea, in my opinion, losing like that at home, it, it must have been embarrassing for them. It must have been embarrassing for the fans. Um, but yeah, uh, moving on from that game, the uh, let's go to the Liverpool and Tottenham game. Spurs just Spurs are a weird team to me um, because the way Conte sets them up, they seem to want to um, just sit back for the first half of the game and just play on the counter. But then it, it, it looks like they're not even really trying to um, work hard to, you know, play the ball once they get it into the front channels. And yes, every team has injuries. They have, um, I think Richarlison is missing. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, um, Son uh, Heung-Ming, you mean someone, um, sorry, had to have, I think, surgery on his left eye or so. And I hope he doesn't end up missing the World Cup because he's an integral player for for that team. But uh, he was missing, so it was just Kane. And it, honestly, it just really shows you that Spurs have about three good players, Kane, Son, Kulusevsky, who I think came back for the first time um, after a long injury. Kulusevsky was introduced uh, in the second half of the game, and he was the only one that seemed to have anything about him in that Spurs team. Because in the first half, literally Liverpool started on the front foot, and the goals that they scored, the first goal was a really nice finish by uh, Salah. Um, and, and the way they worked it through the Spurs midfield, it, it, I don't understand. It, it feels like Conte sets them up to lose. And then after, once the second half starts, it's like, okay, we're down 2-0, fine. Now we can play. Now we can start playing football. Because the thing, hap- it happened in the week prior against Burnmouth. I believe it was the same thing. Burnmouth or I think it was like 2-0 at some point. And and Spurs came back to win that game 3-2. But it was like Burnmouth were up to before they started 
trying and and early on in the game same thing here the second goal that uh liverpool scored eric dyer uh he tries to head the ball back to his keeper and he just completely messes it up mo salah is right next to him runs forward gets the ball and runs in taps it home and that was two nil um again just bad. The, their their entire defense is not good. Um, I think, it, yeah, it, it's just. But one thing I did find interesting is that Liverpool seemed to sort of go into a shell um, after the once the second half began, and it seemed like even before that, it seemed like. Spurs grew into the game. Like I said, they have to go down to start playing. They they grew into the game and and start to have chances. And I think uh, I don't know if it was Persich that had a chance that went off the crossbar that that went in. Um, Spurs had chances, but the chances only came after they were already down, which is very disappointing. Um, and Kulusevski got came in. I can't remember when he came in in the second half, but completely was the only one that was brave he was playing forward and he made the pass for Kane to score a really nice goal um but then that was it um Liverpool just defended for the rest of the second half and I think there was a penalty shot at one point because of Trent against um I can't remember who it was maybe Bentancur or something uh but Besides that, um, yeah, I, I think I think Liverpool too are still a bit shaky. I think Liverpool can get up for a, a, a game against one of the top six opponents, but I could see them looking shaky. It looked like if Spurs really tried harder, they might have been able to score a second goal um, in the in, and draw the game because Liverpool didn't offer a lot much. After going two 0 up, and it seemed to be that Spurs were the ones that that took the game to them. So I I wouldn't say that Liverpool are necessarily back. I just feel that um, they they are able to get up for a big game. Um, and Spurs still have not won a game against any top six opponent this season so far. Um, it's 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 just like the the, the setup, like having to lose to win. It, it's just. Ugh. you know um but who knows maybe after the world cup maybe they'll they'll change something maybe they'll go into the market I highly doubt that with daniel levy but who knows what 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 is going to change you know this world cup is is a um it, it's a it's a new element that no one has really had to deal with before in the middle of a season and um, it's just we, no one knows how any of this is going to affect anybody, if it's going to help or hurt teams' momentum. Yeah, no one knows. But I will say on that game, finally, that um, you, if you're going to wait for teams to start scoring goals against you before you decide to play the game, then better teams aren't going to let you back in the game. They were able to come back against Burnmouth. They weren't able to do it against Liverpool because Liverpool is a much better team. So, again, you know, that strategy is up to Conte. 
Um, but next, the um, bigger shock than the Spurs Liverpool game was Unai Emery's return to the Premier League. And my oh my, was it a good evening at uh, Villa Park because Unai Emery completely outclassed uh, Manu. And yes, we can talk about new manager bounce, and there probably was some of that, but uh, Villa had improved, I think, since they let go of Gerard. So it, it was still surprising, though, how well that they dealt with Manu. In the first, was it 11 minutes, they were up 2-0. And the first goal, um, I can't remember how the first, yeah, the first goal, it was like, it was a nice, it was a nice goal by Leon Bailey. Um, you know, they got the ball, um, pushed it forward to, passed it forward to him, and he was able to slot it home and uh, did a little nice dance. And then the second goal was a, a set piece. I'm trying to remember who took the set piece. Uh, just give me a sec. It was, uh, yeah, Luca, Lucas Digne. That was a really nice set piece goal, uh, beating, um, beating. Uh, oh my god, how how am I forgetting the keeper? Uh, De Gea, yes, Oof. yeah, beating De Gea there um, at the far post. Actually, it was on the near side that he shot it. So, but either way, it was a really good goal. Um, Manu were able to half the deficit by a weird own goal by Jacob Ramsey. It, it really what it was was a Luke Shaw shot that took a really big deflection that went in. And I was just like, okay, so they got it back to 2 1. And I thought after the halftime, Manu would be able to at least draw the game. But then Aston Villa came back out with momentum and, uh, running like horses and uh jacob ramsey the culprit for the own goal went and scored in the 49th minute so that was that man you didn't offer anything uh i think ronaldo started this game and he had like a header that was saved um and that was kind of it so man you have some problems right now they have some problems um ronaldo I never want to say he was their biggest problem because I felt like they had bigger fish to fry, but he's looking like the style that Ten Hag wants to play does not necessarily suit him. You know, the pressing and just running and doing all these things, it might not really match. So they're going to have to figure something out. Um, and I, I thought it was also good because a lot of Manu fans, like, don't get me wrong. They've been doing well. They got. They've. I think they've won nine. They went on a nine-game unbeaten run. Um, but some of people thought, like, yeah, Manu is back. We're winning again. Um, no one wants to play against us, type of thing. And it's like you guys kind of still have a long way to go. Um, so yeah, Unai Emery beat Manu. I think he likes beating Manu because again the Europa League final, and I, I, I as for Emery back in the league, 
I think it just make, makes the league more interesting. And I want to see what he can accomplish with Villa. And I think there will be less pressure on him to do well there than, uh, you know, say Unai Emery at PSG or Arsenal. There's, it's still a lot of pressure, but it's not to the level that, you know, he's experienced in the past. And I think he thrives in those situations more. Uh, then, yeah, Man City eked out a, I would say, lucky win against Fulham because um, Cancelo got a red card for a close guarding opportunity denial. Um, Fulham and Man City were tied 1-1 for a majority of the game. And this was a game that... Um, Oh my gosh. Holland didn't start. Yes. Holland did not start this game. And I think maybe they kind of struggle a bit without him, which is interesting. He's not been there long, but the games that he didn't start, it seems to me, there's only been like two or three, I think three. It seems like they they find it a bit hard um, to score. Uh, but yeah, you know, excuse me. I think the biggest issue, uh, was that Fulham were, I think I see this with teams that play really big teams, small teams or or teams that are, you know, mid table or in relegation. They, They seem to, if they go up a goal or if they are drawing, they seem to completely panic and go oh my gosh okay we're doing well against this big team let's just coast and and stay like this because city with 10 men they literally took the game to fulham and they kept probing and probing and probing and i thought to myself i just can't see fulham holding on because maybe if they had better players maybe if they had a better you know better tactics they would be able to stop City and they did for the most part. They, they they actually stopped City from getting too many chances. Um, but Kevin De Bruyne, man, he did the spin inside the box, and, and he wasn't even he wasn't going anywhere. And uh, the uh, Fulham defender, um, I forgot his name. He just he he completely. Yes, it was soft, but the Fulham defender just put his leg out when De Bruyne was not was like turning away from goal, and you know De Bruyne felt the contact. He knows what to do, sold it, gets the penalty, um, and I was like, I knew, I knew it was like the ninety second minute. I can't remember where it was, but then Holland steps up against Bern Leno, former Arsenal keeper. And like, I was like, I don't think he's going to save it. But then the ball, um, Holland shoots and the ball just goes under, um, just goes under Leno's uh, arms. And I was like, oh, he was so close. He should have saved it. But hey, it's all good. Um, Man City, like, 
get a lucky lucky win and um that just shows me that man city as as much as everyone is saying yeah yeah obviously man city win the league because they have the experience the pedigree they've been there done that yes they have all that but if you if you've been watching their games this season they there's a little bit you can teams can get at man city if they go at them you know and i know a lot of teams are scared to be expansive against city but it's it, i think it worked out for newcastle they got a draw but most teams are scared to actually go at city and the thing is sometimes you you can reap some rewards from it um uh, yeah that was that game and that that was like okay now city won that and again this is why i think arsenal aren't going to crumble the way people think because every week people keep talking about these tests okay this game's a test this team's a test what are they going to do here and they seem to be able to have handled the pressure so far now come uh, april may who knows it could be a completely different story but for now they seem to be handling the pressure well um the next thing that i want to talk about was um there were some other really good games i'm just gonna run through them leeds beat burnmouth 4-3 that was a crazy game um i think leeds were losing two was it two one at halftime or something like that i can't remember um crazy crazy game bad defending all around but it almost kind of reminded me of the bielsa days where Leeds would score a ton of goals but also ship a ton of goals and um they came back yeah they came back from two on down but they were playing at home and then i remember there were boos at halftime you know they came back and um that kid uh somerville I don't his first name is a little funny. Chris Crescencio. Somerville um scores the winner in the 84th minute, man. And um that was great for Jesse Marsh because listen, you beat Liverpool one week, then you go lose to Bournemouth the next week at home. Nah. Um so that helps again relief relieve more pressure off of him. And it was it was a cracking game um up to the end. There was a lot of really, really like big games, like really entertaining games this weekend. Nottingham Forest um, drew two-two versus Brentford. Another game with a lot of controversy, some penalties and penalty shouts, um, and there was an own goal in the ninety-sixth minute uh, by this player's name is Zanka. Uh, I don't know how that happened. It, it was, I don't know how the ball went off of him. Um, and uh, Dean Henderson was really mad because I think there, uh, Brentford got a pen that was based off of him, sort of. He, I think he was one on one against Brent Mbumu from Brentford. And uh, yeah, Mbumu basically like was uh henderson was trying to stop him and he sort of dived to the right and barely grazed mbumo's 
foot and Abumu like goes down and he gets a penalty. And uh, I don't know about that one because Henderson made a play for the ball. He barely touched his foot. Maybe maybe the, the maybe VAR looked at it and said he didn't make a play for the ball, but it was just uh yeah, another controversy. And uh that game in a two two, really entertaining. And then um Wolves v Brighton. Brighton coming off the win against the, the, the hammering of Chelsea. Um Wolves managed to score more than one goal, which um was one talking point. But uh Wolves v Brighton was really entertaining. Uh Adam Lalana scored. Um and they kept going back and forth. Um Guedes uh, I don't really know him or much about him, but he scored for Wolves like two minutes later. Then Brian scored again. Then Neves got a penalty in the 35th minute. And then um, Nelson Semedo got sent off. I completely forgot. Wolves had a player sent off. Um, and then um, Brighton scored the winner, Pascal Gross, in the 83rd minute. Uh, Trussard got a assist. Milana got an assist also. So yeah, there's a lot of really good games um, this past weekend. And um, yeah, I think that's it for for me. Um, I wish we had done some more episodes, but uh, honestly, uh, just wanted to reintroduce us back to you guys again and yeah we promise to try and stay on top of things besides that have a great week guys um see you soon bye